back in Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Still following this train of thought, considering the reality of opposition in ministry and how to overcome that through the principles that we read here, the things that Paul did and the things that Timothy did as the Thessalonians were facing their opposition there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we should have one more week after this in this section, and then we will pass it off to Brother Dennis. We'll take the next section. These are the two um, points in your book, and then, uh, as I typically do, I have my own points here from this, uh, the first seven verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that we will be looking at after we pray. So let's do that now. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness, Father. We need your help this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, use your word to speak to your people and to minister to each heart here this morning, those watching on the internet. We pray for those who can't be here. We pray for Anna, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen and encourage and help her and guide her, give her wisdom. We pray, Father, for uh, our deaf community. We ask that you would be with them. We think of uh, Midge. We pray that you give her strength. And, Lord, I pray that you would be with... um, uh, my dear friend and brother in Christ, Pastor Dietrich, down there in Tijuana this morning, ministering to the people there in the Cancer Research Center as his wife is undergoing treatment. I ask that you bless that meeting there this morning and just really encourage them and do a work there. Uh, we pray for the pastor, pastor here this morning, Lord, that you would be with him and give him wisdom, help him to preach your word. And we ask that you would, uh, Lord, help us to honor and glorify you by receiving these things this morning and applying them personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul's circumvention of Satan's roadblocks. We see that in verses 1 through 5. And then Paul's relief concerning the Thessalonians, verses 3, or, uh, 6 through 9. We'll only get to verse 7 this morning, and then we'll finish the other points next week, Lord willing. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. First of all, as we consider the reality of overcoming opposition in ministry. Uh, First of all, we see, you know, trustworthy people can help overcome opposition. And by implication, you and I need to be one. We need to be that trustworthy individual. But consider Timothy here. Paul says, hey, you know, we were hanging out in Athens. We couldn't stand it any longer. We just had to know how you all were doing. So I couldn't make it back there personally. So I sent Timothy back there to see how you are to see how you were. We sent Timotheus, our brother, 
and minister of God. Timothy was a brother. Um, you know, not everyone that mouths the name of Christ is a brother. And it takes discernment to know who is and who is not trustworthy. But Timothy was one of those individuals. He didn't just name the name of Christ. He lived the name of Christ. And so in a world where we're encouraged not to judge and to not discern, uh, that we need to do the exact opposite of that. We need to have biblical judgment and biblical discernment. Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And every one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, young, old in the faith, it makes no difference. We are called to biblical judgment and discretion. So don't ever let the world cloud the reality of that being there in your life. It doesn't make you a bad person. You can be a self-righteous judge when that is a problem. Or you can just judge biblically, and there's no issue with that. So don't ever let anyone tell you that you're wrong. Well, you know, people may tell you, but don't ever take it to heart. Um, it's not something that, it's something we need to practice. But Timothy, Timothy was a brother. I like Proverbs 25, 13. Uh, turn with me there, if you would, please. As we consider the reality of a trustworthy person being a help in overcoming opposition in ministry. Proverbs 25, 13. And this is what you and I should be striving to be in the Lord. Uh, with his help, because none of us can do this alone. Proverbs 25, 13. As the cold, I love the, the imagery here. As the cold of snow in the time of harvest. Now, harvest time is, uh, well, I guess around here it could actually be pretty chilly. But typically, you know, harvest time can be a warm time of the year. And even here, I think about September, August. I know down in North Carolina it's burning hot in, in September. So, you know, he says, and, and sometimes if you were rich, you know, the imagery here, if you were a rich individual and you had a harvest and you could afford to do so, uh, you might send a certain group into the mountains surrounding where you lived to gather some of the snow water. Now remember, they didn't have refrigerators and they didn't have ice cubes and you couldn't just go get a glass of ice water. You know, if it wasn't, if it wasn't chilly coming out of the well or out of the cistern or out of a creek somewhere, you were... You were up creek, right? <laughs> and so they would send sometimes, the rich people would send in the mountains, they would gather that snow water that was just so cold, and they would bring it back for those doing the harvest. Not everybody had that luxury, but there were a few folks. And so the, 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 the writer here, with that imagery in mind, I believe, says, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send, to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his master's. That's exactly the way you and I should be. It doesn't matter how old you are, what position you hold in the church. That right there should be said of every one of us who names the name of Christ. Timothy was one of those people. Constantly he refreshed Paul's soul as Paul's brother in Christ. But notice that Timothy also was a selfless believer. It says here that he was a minister of God. This is the same word from which we derive the word deacon. And deacon, diakonos, or diakonia if it's talking about a female, and don't let that throw you, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. Um, Phoebe wasn't a deacon in the church. We don't have female deacons. There's an argument for that one way or the other. That verse in Romans 16.1 uh, is describing to you and I the sincerely servant's heart that Phoebe had. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. We won't go down there. But anyway, if you had deacon, diakonos, deacon, diakonia, it's made up of two words. It literally means through the dirt through the dust. That's what a deacon is. It's uh, somebody who goes through the dirt to minister to other people. Somebody's not afraid to get their hands dirty. No, somebody's not afraid to be stepped on or inconvenienced or have their rights put aside or have their agenda put aside. 
And that is what Timothy was. He was someone who went through the dirt for God. And are you and I willing to do that? It takes a selfless individual to do that. One who is resigned that, you know what, my life is not my own. It is Jesus Christ's. My agenda is not the most important thing. You know, when Timothy went back to Thessalonica, I seriously doubt he had his agenda as a priority. I seriously doubt he had his daily schedule as a priority. I seriously doubt he had his own comforts as a priority. He knew that he had a job to do and he was willing to go through the dirt to do it. And that is exactly the way you and I need to be. Selfless believers. Uh, Look at Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 to get a real good picture of Timothy's selflessness. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we've already talked about this as we've gone through Philippians, but let's revisit it for just a minute. Philippians 2 verse 19, Paul says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's, It's nature, it's natural for you and I to be self-focused, to have our own agenda at heart, but Timothy was not that way. But ye know the proof of him, that is Timothy, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Are you and I selfless people? That does not come naturally. You don't wake up in the morning just feeling selfless. Okay. Uh, You wake up in the morning feeling, what can you do for yourself? How can I be comforted? How can I have my needs met? And having your needs matter is important. And I'm not undermining the reality of that, but I think you know what I mean. We are by nature selfish individuals. But the Spirit of God is very selfless. The Spirit of Christ is very selfless. And if we allow him to fill us and control us each day, that picture, that reality will come through in our life. He was a selfless person. So in being a selfless individual, you and I can help others overcome opposition in ministry, whatever it might be. Whether it means just, you know, putting aside your plans for the day or putting aside your plans for the week or just going somewhere and desiring to be nothing but a blessing and letting that, the needs of that person drive uh, your day's events, whatever the case may be, that's the kind of heart God wants us to have. And Timothy was that kind of an individual. Timothy was also a mature individual. He was a mature Christian. Uh, he says that he was a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. But look what he did. Uh, Paul sent him to establish, to build up, to strengthen, to put on a firm foundation, the Thessalonians, and also to comfort them concerning their faith. They were experiencing a lot of persecution, a lot of troubles. And so Paul sent Timothy to establish them, to remind them of the biblical doctrine that he had given them. And that takes a matured believer to do that. Paul wrote to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, Uh, but but no man despise thy youth. And that's the idea of a command to Timothy. It's not a direct command to Timothy. It's a third-person command. He wasn't telling Timothy, you make sure people respect you. It's not my job to force respect out of people. Uh, It's a third-person idea. It's the idea of here's a truth and let it be so. And you learn from this, Timothy, and don't you be intimidated by people who don't respect you as a believer just because of your age. It wasn't a command to him to go fix everybody so that they give him the respect he deserves. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Right? Paul didn't write that to someone who who was not a mature believer and didn't understand what his job was as a servant of Christ. He wrote that to a mature individual. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul said, um, uh, let's turn there, I forget how it starts, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother uh, Lois, and thy mother uh, Eunice, or Eunice, however you want to say that, and I am also, and I am persuaded that in thee also. So, Paul was sure, you know, Paul wouldn't have sent Timothy if he was not a mature person. Say, well, how do I know if I'm a mature believer? Well, I'll tell you what, one good way to know is to ask other believers what they think of you, if they'll be honest. Uh, I am by nature a selfish, prideful creature, and so are you. And so for me to say, well, I'm mature, of course you're going to think you're mature. You know, I mean, you talk to a 10-year-old, they think they're mature, right? And we all know better. Uh, you talk to a 15-year-old and they think they're mature. And it's, it's no different with us. You know, the best way to know if you're mature is, well, what, do, what does the church of God think of you? How are you affecting it? Are you obedient to the scriptures? Are you submitting to what the Spirit's doing in your heart? Uh, but we all need to be mature believers. And it is something that is so difficult to find. So difficult to find. Honestly, there just aren't many people in my life personally that I would put confidence in as a mature believer because there just aren't that many of them. They're a hard thing to find. People who submit to what they read, uh, people who dig into what they read and let it sink down inside, not people who go through the Bible, but people who let the Bible go through them. That's really what's most important, right? I can sit here and I can read my Bible through in a year and I can do all the check all the boxes and be a total child in the Lord. I, I can do all those things and be lost and on my way to hell. But to let the Bible go through us, to let God mature us every day. You know, it's a process that never stops until we finally go to be with Christ in glory. Okay? Until we reach that positional perfection, that positional, uh, that positional completion that we have in Christ. It's a process, continual, progressive sanctification where God changes us every day. I learned different things. You know, we were in here. Here's an example, an illustration. We were in here. Pastor was going through Romans um, 8, one of my favorite passages there. And I had misinterpreted the first four verses of that. You know, where Paul says um, that the law is fulfilled in us, that we might, uh, um, uh, that the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. And he pointed out that that's dealing primarily with us allowing the spirit of Christ to do good works through us. And here I am sitting there thinking, well, it's primarily talking about how Christ, in fulfilling the deeds of the law, when I'm in him, those things are fulfilled in me. And I do believe that there is some room for that. But that was the primary application. And he pointed that out. And I'm like, well, I never saw that before. You know? And so just the Lord will continuously use things like that and grow us and change us. That never stops. You know, and the minute we begin to buck that and shirk that, you know, God will teach us, mature us through an enemy who puts us down to our face. God will use that to mature you and I. And when we don't let anything he wants to come our way mature us, we're in trouble. And pride has entered in and we're beginning to resist that process of maturing. But Timothy was a person who was a definitely mature believer and who was continually growing in those things. And Paul could trust him. Timothy was also sound in his doctrine. You wouldn't send somebody on a mission like this if they weren't sound in their doctrine. Okay? And this is something that is crucial uh, for you and me. Timothy was sound in his doctrine. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16. 
the things that Paul wrote to Timothy. Again, you don't write this to someone who's a child in the faith and uh, who is not sound in their doctrine. Timothy being the um, believed to be the first bishop of the church of Ephesus there, the first pastor there. Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. <laughs> oh, amen. Consider how many people have gone astray because the doctrine of the word of God just isn't primary anymore, you know? I mean, the things you see going on in churches are just, they're, they're, they're scary. You know, the things that are just should be so basic. Um, I, some event this week reminded me again of, I don't remember exactly what it was, but just how far we've slipped in the rearing of children and what uh, we expect from children. You know, the world views them as, well, they're just little individuals that you need to let them speak their mind. And I'm not putting down the reality of letting kids tell you what's on their heart. That's important. But I'm just talking about the world's idea of, you know, let them, if they want to tell you off, they can tell you off. They don't eat their veggies. They don't have to eat their veggies. If, you know, if you just want to let them choose, they need to, you know, when you go into McDonald's and they, they just need to choose off the menu themselves, you know, and they're only two years old. Mom's standing there for three hours asking what they want. You want to smack mama? Because they just, just order and move on, lady. You know, it's just, think about the basic Bible principles that we have just thrown out the window. There's no room for disrespecting your kids. You know, they can learn to, the right way to tell you what's on their heart. They can learn the right way to interact with people. Uh, and the, it's, the Bible is so basic about those things. But the world has said, no, no, you know, that's oppression, that's abuse. It's not abuse, it's not oppression. Know your Bible. Know your Bible's doctrine and stick with it. Okay? And there's so many things like that. Uh, so many people that come along, you know, and they're, maybe they're good expository preachers and maybe they're... Uh, they say things that we appreciate, but we lack discernment and whether or not we should affiliate with them. You know, they're off in this area and they're off in that area. But man, we just really like their expository preaching. A lot of people have, you know, Piper have sucked people in like that. Um, I know um, David Jeremiah, he's, he's a very ecumenical individual. Right? Says some good things, very ecumenical individual. You know, so there's a lot of things you have to be careful of and you have to be discerning. And not that there aren't good things to learn from uh, from folks and you have to check everything somebody says that's not what I'm saying but the truth is have discretion be sound in doctrine be mature in doctrine Timothy was one of those people Paul sent him to the Thessalonian church that's a church there in Thessalonica without concern about what he would tell them would he go there and undermine what Paul was trying to do no uh, he went there you know when I think of uh, as an illustration I have sent fellow mechanics to go talk to a customer about a tractor and a problem you know and I have I, I have sent them already having talked to the customer given the customer a basic idea of what's going on and I sent that person in good faith that they would back up what I was saying because what I was saying was correct and that they would help the customer reach a solution and I was very disappointed okay shouldn't have sent that person then I've sent people who did know what they were talking about and that did understand the mechanics and did understand the way the electrical system worked and, and could back up what I was already saying and lead the customer in the right direction, that turned out well. You know, and so Timothy was an individual that could be sent by Paul. 
He wasn't going to undermine the word of God. He wasn't going to undermine what Paul had taught them from the scriptures, the groundwork that had been laid. He was only going to build upon that. Are you and me that kind of a person? That doesn't come. That doesn't come by being in love with the world most of the week and then just trying to get close to God on Sunday. That doesn't happen. Okay? That only comes from being from laboring and giving yourself to the scriptures. So trustworthy people can help us overcome. I don't think I even put that up there. Trustworthy people can help us overcome opposition. So let's you and me be one. Be that trustworthy person. Hey, we all got a long way to go. I'm right there with you. But let's strive to let the Lord make us this trustworthy individual. And don't fall into the modern uh, Christian trap of thinking, well, you know what? I've got Jesus and I'm going to heaven and that's all I need. Now let's go have fun. Just continually let God change you from the inside out and make you more like Christ every day. And you'll be well on your way to being a trustworthy person that others can count on to help them uh, in times of overcoming opposition. Second principle we see from this passage, knowing what to expect can help us overcome opposition. Paul says, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. Paul did not hide from them in any way the troubles that were most likely coming their way. And they had already experienced some of those very early on. And so here's Paul. He's not candy coating anything. He's laying out the facts. Okay? Have you ever been witnessing to someone and they're like, well, if I accept Christ, what are the consequences? Right there, you're faced with a choice. Do I start trying to make them sound like this is going to be great in, in, in this life so that they'll make a choice and I can put another salvation notch in my belt? Or do I give them the truth and more than likely they're going to reject it? Well, obviously, you've got to be truthful with them and tell them, no, if you accept Christ then more than likely you're going to have some family issues where people aren't going to like you anymore because you're going, to be, you're, going to be, you're going to need to change. Christ is going to want to change you from the inside out. So there's going to be some habits. You know, you see, you see the girlfriend sitting back there in the living room. You're like, yeah, you're going to have to stop living with her. And you're going to have to you know, throw out the booze. And you're going to have to give up the cigarettes. This may not all happen overnight, but God's going to start working in your heart. You know, Yeah, it's not really the best way to just get them into church. <laughs> I understand that. But it is the only honest way to deal with them. And Paul was honest with these people. Let's look at an example of God being honest with one of his prophets and how it prepared that prophet for what lay ahead. Ezekiel chapter 3. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3. You know, we would look at examples like this and say amen and then uh, totally not follow this example in dealing with people. <laughs> Let's not do that this morning. Let's look at this example and really take it to heart. And the next time we have an opportunity to uh, deal with folks honestly, uh, let's just muster up the courage and do that, shall we? Uh, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 4. Ezekiel is being given a very hard ministry. Now, Ezekiel ministered to whom? It's Sunday school, you can answer. What group of people? Right, the Jews in exile. A group of hard folks, just as hard as the ones back in Jerusalem. Just because they've been taken to Babylon doesn't mean they're any softer. In fact, they're back in Babylon still confident that Jerusalem's not going to be destroyed. 
And they're so confident, you know, Jeremiah's back here de dealing with Hananiah, who says in two years the king of Babylon's yoke is going to be broken. And Jeremiah's like, no, you're a liar. And over here in the, in the land of Babylon, Ezekiel's dealing with a group of folks who's like, ah, Jerusalem's not going to be destroyed. And they're sitting there and they're listening to Ezekiel. And they're, you know, like God said of them, they're like, you know, you're, you're, you're as one who hath a very lovely song. You know, you sing your little tune to them and they say, oh, that was lovely. And then they go away and do their own thing. They were a group of hard folks. And God's, God tells Ezekiel what's coming. Look at verse 4. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. If I'd sent you to a foreign country full of heathen reprobates, they probably would have listened. But no, the religious folks aren't going to hear you. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be discouraged at their looks, though they be a rebellious house." That's a really comforting introduction to your ministry, right? God was very honest with Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel's response. I love this down in verse 14. You ever felt this way? And we can pick on Ezekiel all day long, but I guarantee every one of us has been here. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the heat of my spirit. I don't know if he was necessarily angry at God or angry at the people. Probably, I'm just going to guess, a little of both. He's angry at his brethren because he knows they're so hard-hearted. He's a little angry at God for calling him into this ministry. Now, God didn't tell him everything that was coming. He didn't tell him he was going to lose his wife as an illustration of the fall of Jerusalem. That would have been too much information. Okay. But God gave him just enough to let him know what was coming to help him overcome the opposition that he would face. But he goes on to say, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And so a little bit of knowledge, the right amount of knowledge... And God knows how much can help you and me overcome opposition in ministry. And Paul was honest with these folks. And I believe it helped them to deal with what was, they were going to face. Uh, knowing can prevent confusion. In contrast to that, not knowing can cause confusion. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'll get to this book as we continue our study through Thessalonians. But look at the confusion that false information caused the Thessalonian believers. Okay. So here's Paul. He's, he's warning them about the persecution. He's already taught them, look, Jesus is coming back. He's going to take you out of this. And then they're going to, the tribulation is going to follow. But then you have false teachers in Paul's absence come in. And they start to put out false doctrine. And they start to put out false epistles. As Paul says here, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. There were false letters floating around, telling the Thessalonians something different than what Paul had already told them. And it was causing confusion. Uh, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And he goes on to explain, again, the reality of the rapture and of the second return of Christ. And so, not knowing can cause confusion but if we prepare people biblically as to what's coming it can oftentimes prevent confusion um, you know and I believe the Lord is gracious in allowing us to see some things 
and see some things change in preparation for what may or may not be coming down the road in our lives. He's good that way. It can help us, though it's uncomfortable at the time, just like it was for Ezekiel. Whether we realize it or not, if we'll accept it with humility and ask God to help us with it, it will prepare us for what's coming. Think about a, a soldier's training. It's not enjoyable while he's going through it okay, at all. Regardless of the military training you receive or any kind of training, really, training isn't necessarily always fun. Okay, but it does prepare you. If you'll take it to heart, it preps you for what is coming. And that's what Paul was doing here in 1 Thessalonians 3 in verse uh, 4 as he explains there. So, really, um, oh, there we go. And thirdly, we see from this passage, choosing to persevere by God's grace can overcome opposition in ministry. And that is exactly what the Thessalonian believers had done. Look at verse four or verse five for this cause when i could no longer forbear when i couldn't take it any longer i sent to know your faith you sent timothy to find out if your faith was steadfast lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain but (laughs) the opposite of what i feared was the reality you were standing strong but now when timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, your agape love for each other, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. The Thessalonian believers had chosen, despite the opposition, to continue on persevering in God's grace and allowing him to grow them in spite of the worst possible situations. And God's grace always shines brighter in the worst situation, right? That's when we see his grace the most in opposition. Is God's grace there when things are going well? Oh, absolutely. But is God's grace more noticeable to me when things aren't going well? Yes, it is. And uh, I wish I could appreciate God in his grace just as much at all times but unfortunately I am a wicked self-centered desiring to be independent from God individual and so are you and God will allow troubles and problems to come into our lives to remind us how much we need him what did David say in Psalm 119 172 or is it 72 it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes Psalm 119, I believe Ezra wrote that. If you don't believe that, that's fine. We don't really know who wrote it. But um, I was reading that again today, uh, this, this week, and he said, you know, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He says, but afterward, I have kept thy commandments or, or done thy law or something to that effect. And so God had allowed problems into that psalmist's life, whether it was Ezra or another individual, to bring him back in line, whatever that was. And the Thessalonians had had continued on in God's grace. And that was really all they needed. Look at Acts chapter 20. Now, I don't mean to say that we don't need others. We need fellow Christians. We need the local church. God has put all of those things into place, and they are all important. I am simply pointing out that no matter what happens, all we absolutely must have is God. Okay? Without, if, we, if we had nothing else, we could still be spiritually well with God. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. 
For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And now, brethren, all right, I have to leave. I have to leave. But I know if I do this, you'll be all right. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Paul had done the same thing with the Thessalonians. And they had chosen to take on board God's grace. And they had chosen to take on board the importance of trusting him and him only. And they had decided, you know what? Despite the opposition, we're going to let God grow us. And that turned out to be a blessing to Paul because God's grace didn't just make them survive it made them thrive now i don't want to be the person who really enjoys the world but kind of loves god or you know i'm just hanging in there i'm not what the world would consider a real creep but i'm not in love with god either that's kind of a miserable place to be now that's just as much that's still failure right whether you fall two feet from the finish line or 50 feet you still miss the finish line you're still a failure i don't want to be that kind of a person I'm going to be the kind of person who loves God. Yeah, and there's always room to love God more, but at least be the kind of person who's walking in that direction instead of just hanging out somewhere in the middle. The Thessalonians were not doing that. They were thriving, not simply surviving. And that reality made them a blessing to the one that was trying to be a blessing to them. Paul was trying to help them overcome opposition in ministry. And guess what? Their attitude and their steadfastness had actually helped Paul to overcome some of the opposition that he was dealing with in his own life. Maybe discouragement, whatever the case may have been. Their faithfulness and choice to trust in God was a blessing to someone else. So, how do we overcome opposition in ministry? Well, be a trustworthy person. Understand that knowing will often prep us for the opposition, and God will often do that for us. And understand that choosing to persevere in God's grace will help us overcome the opposition regardless of what it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these realities this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, this, the good example of the Thessalonian believers. Lord, they weren't flawless, we know that, but they made some good decisions that were an encouragement to Paul, and they aided in spreading the gospel. We would like to follow their example. Help us, Lord, to humbly acknowledge that we all have much to learn. We all have far to go, but, Lord, we know that you have desire to lead us down the road of sanctification to continue to make us more like Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that uh, we are positionally safe in Jesus, having accepted him as our Savior. uh, We are safe and secure with him forever. But we thank you also for the fact that you want to change us day by day and make us more like the one who has saved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.